Hey there, are you an InsureTech founder that's trying to get your solution into the market? Are you trying to increase your brand exposure? Would you like to tell your story? We attract thousands of people every month who listen to our podcast. Our audience includes insurance carriers, brokers, MGAs, investors, service providers, and decision makers and thought leaders in the insurance and technology industry. Go to insuretechcanada.ca, click on our contact page, and send us a note. We can't wait to tell your story. Welcome to the InsureTech Canada podcast. We just sat down with Connor Atchison. Connor is the founder and CEO of wisedocs.ai. Really interesting guy. Um, we get into some really cool topics around the founder's journey, fundraising, attracting strategic investors, building a team. And of course, we learn more about uh, the WiseDocs story and WiseDocs as a product and as a company. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this one. And uh, WiseDocs, special shout out to them for sponsoring the community. We can't do what we do here at InsureTech Canada without the support of our sponsors. So thanks to Connor and his team for uh, stepping up to the plate, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, so welcome to the InsureTech podcast. I have uh, with me tonight Connor Atchison. Connor is the founder and CEO of WiseDocs. Um, Connor, thanks for joining me tonight. I'm really excited to um, hear about your journey to unpack the wise that wise doc story and to learn a little bit about you as a founder and kind of what makes you uh, what makes you tick and why you would be so crazy as to jump into the startup space. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we uh, why don't we why don't we get right into it um, so, and uh, you know like tell us a little bit about you had mentioned earlier in the interview that you're 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 talking to us today from Miami and uh, you're rocking your short sleeve and I got my sweater on there's <laughs> no outside. So, uh, you know, what, what brings you to Miami and, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and, the, you know, kind of what, what makes you tick. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me on the, uh, the podcast, uh, John, it's, it's great. Um, and, uh, can't wait to dig in more, uh, love what you, what you guys are doing and, and just making the insurance ecosystem a little bit more, uh, open and, and understanding for everyone. So, uh, happy to be here and, uh, yeah, let's dig into it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky right now to uh, to be down in the Miami circuit. We have offices in Nashville and uh, in Miami. So our, our U.S. division is down there with our employees. And then uh, we also have our Canadian uh, main offices out of Toronto. So uh, I just lucked out for a, a short period of time and I just missed that snowfall. But uh, I'll be back shortly with a, a nice big parka. So <laughs> I was going to say, bring your parka and your toque for sure. <laughs> thousand percent. So what do you do? What do you do to stay active when you're when you're in Miami? When you're in a warmer climate, are are, are you a runner? Are you a CrossFitter? What's uh, what's yeah, your... yeah. You know what? Uh, back in the uh, the a past life, I spent uh, twelve years in the Canadian Armed Forces. So uh, a lot of running, a lot of physical fitness. Uh, I hate running, probably because it was uh, just instilled into me uh, as we would call oh dark stupid. Sometime real early in the morning, you know, right. you're always up. You're doing that that run, but. Uh, to stay active, it's uh, swimming, you know, when you have the luxury, uh, but just the gym, right? Just uh, walking, any kind of way that you can just uh, get that that small window to break up the day, 
uh, recharge the mind, you know, get all the, uh, the good endorphins and serotonin going. And uh, I think that goes a long way to, to focus on the work. You know what? So, uh, and I, I didn't ask you that question by accident. It was on purpose because, you know, I, I'm a founder myself. Uh, so, you know, I've walked miles in the shoes of the people that I interview typically. And, you know, you run into a lot of, especially in the tech space, these, you know, overambitious founders. And I, I think you ha- we have to be a little bit overly ambitious and a little bit delusional um, <laughs> and, and extremely driven, but you can also run yourself thin. And, you know, like I, I, Elon Musk is someone that I admire, but, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with, with all of his philosophies. And, you know, one of the things he talks about is, you know, putting in 18 hour days and, you know, like if you kind of look at that guy's daily routine, uh, I think he sleeps maybe three, four hours. And, I see a lot of uh, founders running at that pace and it's like the tank is on empty and there's nothing they do for their mental or physical health. And it's all about launching the company and, you know, building scale and, and, you know, getting that first customer and all those things are important and speed is important. Agility is important, but especially as a founder, when so much is count rides on you, especially when you're building that founding team, you got to take care of home. Right. And, Absolutely. uh, you know, like I, I've seen a lot of guys and gals burn out because they just get too consumed in the work. And I don't know about you, but I actually, I perform better. I, I think more clearly, I make better decisions. I'm less emotional. I'm a little more rational. Um, when, when I take care of those things. Um, so I'm glad you shared that because I think it's important. I think us founders can learn from each other. I think it's often overlooked uh, more so than than most uh, people think, because again, you know, you have to show up for your team, yourself, your investors, your stakeholders, your clients. And if you're only going at 50%, 50% of the time, you're, you're doing a disservice. So it's so easy to say, well, I'll just do that one extra hour. But simple things is like take 10 minutes, refresh the mind, take 20 minutes, go for a walk. You're, you're going to come back to the situation with a clean, clean mind, a clean purview, and maybe a way of looking at a problem that you just couldn't solve at that time because you're so inundated. So your day is not going to fall over because you took a 20 minute break to rethink, let that unconscious mind come through and find a better solution. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, thanks for sharing that. Like I know founders that get really creative with it. Some will do, you know, team uh, breathwork sessions. Um, and you know, it's just part of their culture or walking meetings or outdoor meetings. Like, and I think COVID kind of forced us down the path to kind of break out of those traditional norms and integrate new and different things into our daily routines. Um, I just do want to give a quick shout out to all the veterans, um, you know, across the world. It, we're just kind of closing off Memorial Day and our sorry, Veterans Day and, and Remembrance Day over here in Canada. And, uh, you know, wanted to re- recognize that 12 years of service. Um, Connor, how would you say, and, you know, maybe this will kind of, you know, parlay into your origin story, you know, how did that influence and affect your journey to, you know, starting WiseDocs? Because I, I understand that had an influence in, you know, why you came to this point. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I can't say it enough. It's such an honor to serve your country and the the institution that it represents. And, uh, you know, it was, it was the best, some of the hardest, most challenging years of my life. But, Really what it sets up is a camaraderie and a spirit of core and, and a brotherhood um, that I really don't think you can get anywhere else. And, and the, the learnings from that, that you can impart into day-to-day operations and business 
there is no crash course for that. There is no university for that. Uh, it's a, kind of like the school of hard knocks. It's, it's, it's a really, really intense way of saying, how do we actually execute, operate, understand mission and value? And uh, it's probably one of the oldest institutions on the planet. Um, so they're doing something right. And it continues to do something right on, on how to facilitate that. So, you know, um, you know, my, my small time uh, and short time uh, of the, the 12 years that I served, um, there, there are just so many amazing operators, so many amazing veterans that are applying their skill set. There's so many amazing service men and women that are, are active today. So I think, you know, to give a shout out to, to their sacrifices to keep doing what they're doing, um, I'm, I'm in full support of that. I'm, I'm a big proponent for veterans and, and how we help uh, get them into new situations, new job employment, new opportunities to really harness those skill sets um, because they're like none other. And uh, I'm not giving any discredit to, to non-veterans and non-service members, but uh, I do think it's often underutilized and, and under uh, uh, kind of under uh, underexpected. And right. uh, they're, they're just a great, great group of, uh, of people that can uh, execute at a level that's top-notch beyond anything. It's like a professional sports team. You're bringing, bringing the A game. Well, and, and you know, let's give credit where credit's due. A lot of the the methodologies we use in business today that have become synonymous with business planning and strategic planning come from the military. You know, having a mission, a vision, you know, mm -hmm. a set of values that keeps everybody together, building a culture, teamwork, collaboration. You know, if you study, you know, strategic planning, a, a lot of that comes from, you know, from the military these are best practices that have been there for years and you know i think th it's good to take those and those lessons and to actually identify you know some of the, the the attributes that people who have served bring to the table it's it's no different with uh, high performance athletes right um yeah. you know the the life skills that that provides somebody those people probably have a higher probability of success in business just because of the disciplines Right. And, uh, you know, uh, as as founders, we also know you can't plan your day based on emotion. You can't plan your day based on what you feel like doing. So, you know, wherever you get that from, you know, it, it's a great place to start to have that 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 discipline. Right. Because that'll take you through those days where you just don't feel like doing it, where you just don't feel like you have it. And you to, to get through the grind or, or to put in that extra meeting. But if it, if it aligns to the vision. And that's been kind of hardwired into you. It's, um, I think it's it's something that is is hard to replicate. And I, but the last thing I'll say on this subject is, you know, I think I, I, we as Canadians probably play it down a little bit more than our our friends to the south, because I know a lot of companies that, you know, provide discounts and and recruit directly from those pools. And you know, we're a little more conservative. We don't talk about it as much. We bring our poppies out once a year in Canada and then we kind of don't talk about it for the rest of the year. So that's yeah. my plug and my recognition and my celebration of, of folks who have served. Um, so, you know, thank you for your service, uh, Connor. So let's, let's get into, you know, the, the problem that you were trying to solve with wise docs. Cause you know, I think it's a really interesting story and I'll let you tell it in your own words. Yeah, and it really stemmed from, uh, you know, firsthand experience and, and that education and that knowledge through the military. And it was the time when I was within uh, the health services and just understanding like the claims process uh, and really just going through trying to find efficiencies. And, you know, the one thing that I, I have to shout out to the Canadian Armed Forces, they have one of the only pan-Canadian health systems, electronic health records. They've done that so well. 
Um, but the one thing that we still plague the system, and, and I think every HR or any type of medical record, it's all very manual. It's all very disaggregated. And it's, you know, it, it's a tough thing to, to navigate and get really clean insights out of. So I've seen a lot of the pain points during that time. And then I personally had to go actually through the, the disability process. So I was honorably discharged uh, 3B and uh, that, that ended my career. And going through the, the short-term disability process was really eye-opening. Uh, 18 months to 24 months, your life gets put on hold. You know, are you coming? Are you going? What am I doing? I got to transition back to be a civilian. Um, what do I do? I don't know how to do that. Uh, I've only known uh, the military. So at that point, it, it became a little bit more uh, um, impactful in the sense that the, the system has to change. Like, How do we help not only veterans, but anyone going through a short-term disability, a long-term disability, you know, an accident benefit claim? Why does it take so long and why are they the, you know, per se casualty through this process? So that's, that really pushed, pushed me to the next level of saying, let's solve for this. And then along the way, I had a family member that also had a catastrophic impairment due to an auto accident. And I, and I got to see the underbelly of the, the tort system. So, you know, years to go through adjudication and arbitration and, you know, just to reach a conclusion from, from a, a very, very serious injury. So that, that really kicked it off for me saying, let's, let's fix this. So if we can give back one day, one week, one month, one year, et cetera, not only to the claimant, not only to that patient who needs help and better care, but also to the entire insurance ecosystem, everyone wins. It doesn't, it doesn't just single one individual out to win. It singles out everyone. It's the sum of the whole. It's mm -hmm better response times, better turnaround times, better care pathways, better cost savings, lower premiums, all of these things compound to deliver a better outcome. And that's what we set it to do at WiseDocs. And, and that's what's near and dear to my heart, not just for veterans, but anyone that's had to go through that experience because it is dehumanizing and it's, yeah. it's extremely painful to go through that, to get your life back on track, to get back to work. Um, so that that's really the origin, and uh, I'm really proud that I can I can champion that, and I'm doing my best to just move that every day forward. My team's behind that, and and amazing amazing team members doing the same thing. You know, I love that. Sorry, you had to go through that experience, but I I love what it led to. Um, and you know, like talk about mission and purpose, right? You've you've walked a mile in the shoes of the people that you're you're trying to help. So your 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 why is crystal crystal clear, and understanding that. For those of us, you know, I, I have a claims background. There's lots of our audience that come from claims, but there's people that come from all over the industry and might not be as familiar with what that looks like. So we've talked about the why. Mm -hmm. not, can you talk to us a little bit deeper about the how? So how exactly, what is it exactly that WiseDocs does to mm -hmm. make that process more streamlined, more efficient, easier for not just the claimant, but for mm -hmm. the carrier on the other side processing that claim? Yeah, I think, you know, you have to look at how it makes it easier for everyone that touches that claim. So, you know, it could be a paralegal, it could be a lawyer, a doctor, an adjuster, an underwriter, a case manager, everyone somewhere within that value chain of trying to find a solution for that individual is, is looking at a medical record. And the best analogy that I, I can give on that is take a medical record that, um, we'll just imagine it's a 2000 page book. You take that book, you rip the spine off the back of the book, mm -hmm. you throw it up in the air, mess it up, move it all around, 
put it back together and tell me in chronological order, in perfect order, what the book looks like, what's the story, and, and what your opinion is on that. But here's the catch. There's no page numbers. Yeah. That, that's the problem. We're dealing with PDFs and unstructured data and mass amounts that someone physically has to go through page by page to help arrive at a conclusion, whether that is the type of care, whether that is the severity of impairment, whether that is the duration of care that's being offered or the overall settlement for that claim. Right. So it's a really complex process uh, and it's not, as I say, sexy or flashy. Uh, yeah. And I think that's why it's been often ignored. Um, but what our system does is it allows that individual to take that 2000 page disaggregated mess of medical information, mm. put it back together in minutes and make a really clear understanding of what they're trying to pull out to arrive at a conclusion. Wow. So, so I imagine there's some AI involved um, mm -hmm. in, and that that's proprietary to to wise docs tell can you tell me a little bit about like and pick a stakeholder in in the equation who would be like an end user of wise docs be it the claimant be it the paralegal be it the the uh physiotherapist uh, uh clinic uh or the claims adjuster um so what's what's a typical use case um that you, you know kind of demonstrate you know, at a, at the next level now, now we're kind of getting down to like uh, the 2000 foot level um, yeah. of, of how wise docs would, would apply in a real scenario. Yeah, I, I can use a, a use case for uh, some of our clients that are third party assessment companies. So they, yeah. uh, they roster a number of clinicians. To do, they do a great job of like organizing, uh, triaging intake, you know, getting the appointment so that claimant, that injured, injured individual can then be assessed by a specialist or, or a type of clinician doctor to, to really understand the scope of the injury. But in order for that doctor to actually review that 2000 page medical record in a timely way and in an effective way, it's got to be put together so that they can understand it, that when they're sitting there in front of that patient saying, what is your range of motion? Do you have a, an MTBI, minor traumatic brain injury? You know, are we assessing different, different skills? That allows them to do their job so much faster to arrive at a better conclusion or diagnosis. So wow. our system allows that, that organization to help that doctor and in turn help that claimant. That's, uh, that's a great example. I, I like a few things are jumping into my head that my, my process excellence add on now is like I see a, a massive reduction in errors in over-processing um, in, in also throughput on like the clinician side of things because they're seeing so many clients per day and sometimes they're back to back to back. And so how much time is there to actually review and ingest the information so that you can prescribe the proper treatment plan? So I see a ton of efficiencies there. Are you guys... Um, do you guys have like uh, some a set of KPIs, like measures of success that you use that you that are like your core three to five things that you measure as far as like this is our claim to fame. This is yeah, this I, is I would say value to the supply or to the to the value chain. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, sorry to cut you off, uh, but no, the, the real value is that it's the time saving. It's okay. uh, you know, and it, and it's the higher value allocation of work. So you know, I, I've I've gone through claims and it's hateful work you know you're sitting there and you're page by page and you're like wow this this really sucks 
yeah. but it has to be done. Uh, if I can reduce, you know, 80% of my day to do the same amount of work, and now I can reallocate that time to higher value, better tasks that can yeah. support the organization and not claim it, that's a win. Why, why are we doing in a digital age, manual labor around paper or digital documents? It, it's yeah. absolutely insane. So yeah. really it's taking that, that process and cutting down the time spent by 80%. It's taking that wow. process and eliminating 30 to 50% of errors and emissions. It's taking that process and taking over half to three quarters of that entire document that's duplicated work. So when you start synthesizing that, it really adds value to anyone within that ecosystem on how they want to look at that information. Very cool. So, so as a follow-up to that, who are you targeting specifically? And you know, how do you get that product to market? Um, is it is it through carriers and then carriers distribute that through their supply chain or is it through other channel partners? It, it's all of the above. It's really um, you know, there, there's carriers that will look at it and use it for for various aspects, like say you have disability. You'll have uh, third-party assessment companies. You're going to have IMEs. You're going to have individual doctors. You have lawyer, lawyers, law firms, your paralegals, um, even your uh, occupational and voc rehab. You know how are we putting this record together quicker? Um, okay. So it's really anyone that has to touch that medical record that is just tired of going through it in a very cumbersome way. That that's that's really the market pull. And I think in the early days where you're alluding to is like how do you get this out there? That yeah. market push, that's hard. Yeah. Um, but when you actually can develop a product that can configure to all of the all of these stakeholders, it's really quickly that they see the value in that pull. Like I can use this specifically for my business line or sp- specifically for my use case. And, and that's what we pride ourselves on. It's, it's allowing us not a off the shelf, one thing fits all. It's taking into account that every business is a little different and every outcome is a little different. Every needs a little different. Because no medical record is the same, yeah. no patient has the same problem. Yeah, and you know, going from push to pull, and now now you're talking process efficiency, workflow optimization, and uh, you know, a lot of companies you know manage their entire business that way. Toyota is one of them. Um, Walmart is another example. Uh, pull inventory versus push. Um, but from a market dynamic standpoint, you know, you create value in a market. You're you're going to create that pull, um, and you know, there's a demand. You know, there's a need. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that we can help you achieve through this podcast is to create that awareness that WiseDocs is out there. Um, yeah. So let's let, let's shift to like the stage of the company. Um, yeah. So where where is WiseDocs? You know, getting you know uh, maybe you can walk us through for some of the like uh, founders in the audience who like to watch the show and hear about the journey of other founders. You know, talk about the stage of the company that you're at and you know, how what did it take to get your first customer. And you know what market would you say you've penetrated more deeply? U.S. versus Canada, or maybe you know South America. I'll let you kind of walk us through what that's been like, and you know maybe some tidbits of wisdom throughout. If you can pull those out. Yeah, yeah. So like, really, the company has been on uh, an amazing journey. Uh, I think for the first few few years as a, a first time founder. You kind of dabble around and, and ideate, and then you try to validate, and you try to figure things out. You know there's a problem. Um, and, and you'll go through ups and downs, ebbs and flows, but you do have to actually take a line in the sand and, and draw that and say, okay, what is the why as, as you clearly uh, picked out? What yeah. is the vision? And how are we going to do that and execute against it? And, and I think it's really easy for founders, uh, especially in the earliest stages, 
to look at every hypothetical as an option. Uh, that'll kill your business. You can't do everything all the time, every time. And you really have to have that conviction and that focus on what it is that you're trying to solve for and execute against it. And then building a really solid team around it and solid investors, mm -hmm. solid mentors. And, and you got to look at it from a founder's perspective, at least how I've, I've had to navigate through it. You know, right out of the gate, you can pick up all kinds of great ideas, all kinds of different people that are interested in the business. But when you cement key roles with very tactile but strategic abilities to execute in those roles, yeah. and of course, multipliers and how they actually can do that and, and contribute to the business, couple that from an executive team to a board that has a ton of knowledge and absolute mm. ton of support that helps you not step on the landmines that you would normally step on. And then the mentors around you that have come before you and done it, you put those three together and you have a powerhouse of a business. And I think that's something that is often overlooked. Um, and I, I did overlook that in the earliest stages, but you know, with WiseDocs pivoting in the last few years, really honing in on what we do, why we do it, how, uh, and having the right team, teams everything. Um, it's not me, it's the team around me. And I, I will I will shout that to the mountains. You are only as good as the team and the person beside you. Right. So it, how long did it take you to get to come to that stage, that epiphany, where you shifted from, you know, I'm, I'm a single individual trying to bring an idea to the market, finding a way to commercialize this. And then you realized what was the inflection point where, you know, in, you know, it could be an event that happened. Uh, it could be, you know, because you've got an investment, but what was it for you, that inflection point where you shifted from, this is more than I can manage on my own, or, or I can't bring this, you know, to scale or to the market without having that team around me. What was it that, that was that trigger for you to push you past that point where you had to bring other people in? Yeah, I think it's when you start seeing that pull, right? And I think when you look at startups, you'll you'll go through ideation, validation, you'll try yeah. to get that product market fit. You get your product market fit, you can still struggle, you're getting a little bit, but you're still pushing, it's more market push. But the minute you get that pull and you're, you're just on that precipice, you mm. need to double down and get the right people with years of experience that have done that before. And that is the full force multiplier that I've talked about. Because... Yeah. It's a timing thing. If, if you do that too early, mm -hmm. um, you're not prepared for them to go out and, and really do the magic. Right. Um, you do that too late, you've, you've missed your window. So um, is there a science behind it? Probably there's, there's many books and more educated people than myself that can tell you why, but I I'm not interested in theory. <laughs> I'm not interested because, because quite honestly, like, you know, and uh, there's lots of academics out there that will tell you you know, this is the silver bullet. This is the magic formula or the recipe. But quite, you know, quite frankly, this is why we have a community. This is why we have a podcast because we want to hear from people who have actually done it. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the kind of, it's not even an inside joke. It's just something I share with people on a regular basis. I did my MBA back in my corporate days, but I feel like I did my real MBA the moment I launched my first company. And, you know, all the theory and, you know, it's not like I didn't take anything away from the education. I'm a big proponent of continuous learning, but you can't, there's something about doing it yourself uh, and actually going through the pain. And a lot of times it's, you're throwing the, the rule book or the strategy book out the window uh, because you just got to get this thing to market. Right. So, um, and it's 
oftentimes the scrappy founders that are willing to roll up their sleeves uh, and kind of use that that gut intuition that really excel and, and and get the job done. So you know, theory we're not really interested in. Just more curious to kind of draw from your personal experience and and if there was you know, why don't we start here? Yeah. When was Wise Docs established? What year was was Wise Docs established? So we actually pivoted as a company about a year and a half ago when we, okay. we got that pull. Prior to that, we were uh, Bear Health Technologies. Um, it was really difficult to get any kind of sales. We didn't really have yeah. a product flushed out. There's a lot of if 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 they, there. It was just your typical startup trying to figure it out. Had some great early clients that worked with us. This is the juicy stuff. This is what we're after here. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. And, and I think it's just because, you know, you have to go through those growing pains and then persevere and realize what's working, what's not, what changes have to have to be made. And, and when you can get all of that aligned, when you have those early adapters, you've built those relationships, then you have to look at when that, when it's time to make that, that, that pivot. And, yeah. and when we made that pivot, we've seen exponential growth. We, we were, we're growing 300% uh, quarter over quarter. And, and that's wow. all the minute we've hit that pivot because we found that market fit. We found that value. We've developed that product. We've developed that executive team, the management team, the operators. Yeah. I'm so proud of the company and where it's coming. It's tough to say and, and look at it and say, this is the time, but it's that perseverance. Yeah. And, and I think you always have to, the way I would look at it, and, and I hope it's not the wrong reference, but I believe it was uh, Horowitz's book, but always yeah. keep the chess pieces on the board to keep making a move. And as yeah. long as you persevere and keep those chess pieces on the board, you're going to have another move and you can keep pushing through it. And and that that's one thing I would impart. You never give up, but you have to keep the pieces on the board. The minute those yeah. pieces are off, it's game over and you don't get to that point to make that next decision when you're just about there. That's like work, uh, working another uh, another metaphor, like working with your first offer. Like, yeah. like don't don't shoot it down because there might not be another offer coming. So try to work that offer and you know keep it alive. So was there? I, I love you talked about the pivot because we're we're living in the era of the pivot, right? And a lot yes. of people like going through. No one thought we would go through what we went through in the last two or three years. So it forced a lot of companies to pivot. And I love those pivot stories because especially when you're on the other side of it and you can talk, you know, about the success of the pivot and some people are still trying to figure out what that was, but was, was there something that forced you to pivot? You, you, you talked about, I think you said from going from a product to a company um, or you talked about traction, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Was there something that forced you guys to pivot or in particular? Yeah, it, it's really that traction. It's your sales yeah. machine. If, if you do not have a sales machine, first and foremost, you don't understand how to sell something and you can't get that feedback from clients on what they want, you're building some, something for no one. So again, that sales team is critical and product-centric growth around that client need, solving their actual pain point, not what I assume, not what my team assumes. What are yeah, they yeah. actually asking for? And I think when you have that and it all kind of boils down with the right execution, with the right senior leadership, yeah, that's a rocket ship. But yeah. you got to get all of that together, and then you can start building a mature company to a Series A, a Series B, and so on. And that's the metrics, the data, that that ability to throttle something up or throttle something down, like any normal business. You get into a different aspect of a growth phase versus a. I'm trying to figure this out. How do I get to the growth phase? Right. 
so so perfect segue into uh, fundraising. Mm-hmm. So uh, as much as you're comfortable sharing on on the podcast, you know what stages have you been through from uh, you know raising outside capital or and I don't want to assume you you've you've done that. Maybe you've bootstrapped the whole way, but you know tell us a little bit about that. Oh, it's it's been a mixed bag, but we are institutionally backed, so we okay. can consider. Uh, and I guess this is a, an interesting thing. What is a, a Series A, a Seed, or a Series B definition of a company? As you know, you know, pre-COVID, COVID, now, there's yeah. all kinds of definitions of what it is. But yeah. the way I would look at a company on a Series A and and where we are at a Series A level, it's essentially understanding those metrics, understanding yeah. that that fit, getting that market pull, and if you put $1 in, I can make $5 out of that. Right. And it's, it's getting the, the understanding of the business to such a refinement that it, it, it almost becomes a, a science or it's, it's a mechanical. And that, that to me is where you go from an A to a growth equity or a growth yeah. play. And then yeah. you know, your B is going to be different, your C, your IPO. And those stages are all have their own, own, own components. But it's a critical point to get it to a data-driven, yeah. sustainable, and viable company that can throttle up, throttle down, and utilize very effectively any resource that it has. Prior to that, it's a lot of guesswork, it's a lot of validating, sure. and it's a lot of a lot of mistakes. And and to be able to deliver consistent, repeatable results, um, and, and that investors want to see, right? Um, because that's how you attract Series A level investment. Um, yeah. You know what we, from a Canadian standpoint, what we typically see again. This isn't. It's all over the map, it, it, you know. It, so this is not like a formula. But what is common is when you see the seed level companies, you know, they're kind of at that stage where they have an MVP, but they don't have a POC. So they have a minimum viable product, because I hate acronyms, but they don't have a proof proof of concept with somebody yet, and they haven't been in to get that first POC is what you need to deliver monthly recurring revenue, which is what you know institutional level investors who are typically your series a type investors want to see so usually that first seed level round is for companies that are Mm -hmm. trying to raise their first half a million to a million dollars the valuation of the companies under five million uh and they're just trying to extend that runway so they can start to get go from an mrr of maybe a thousand a month to five thousand a month and then getting that company you know to the series a level you know, typically, you know, you want to see 20K, 30K MRR and a company that's valued anywhere from 20 to 30 million. And that's where you're, that's where you're attracting the $3 million, the $5 million checks. The constraint we face here in Canada is that seed stage is where a lot of companies die or yes. they go south and we never hear about them again. We talk about it a lot on the podcast. And, you know, I sound like a bit of a broken record, but it's a problem that we need to solve because we either need to, uh, you know, to generate that interest in insure tech as a, as a segment because yes. the angel investment, the C-level investment is here, or we need to in, in, attract more foreign investment to come into Canada because Canada is a great launch pad into Europe, into the U.S., into, you know, foreign markets and, you know, we're 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 not a huge market, but we're forty million people. It's it's a good test bed, right? Um, and 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 you know, two official languages. So there's a lot of good things that are happening here. But that's a challenge that um, a lot of companies face in this market, trying to get out or just trying to build scale. So I I love that you're sharing your experience around that. 
if I can take it a little step further, looking at you know where you're domiciled and you know you, you're you know served in Canada, so you're you're from Canada. Um, yeah. So did you get? Were you successful in raising your first uh, your your first seed money in? You know, on Canadian soil, or did you have to go south for that? I'm always curious to hear. The yeah, so so we we've been successful on on raising uh, multiple rounds. So it's uh, uh, predominantly Canadian funded, which uh, I'm really thankful for that. Um, but again, it, it's also where you're going to look at the strategy aspect of it as well. So you know, our 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 um, our venture capital, a great team, um, you know, amazing amazing members, operators first. Uh, they get the space. And, and I think you really have to look at uh, before you kind of move into that U.S. market, you need that U.S. validation, right? Yeah, you can get some foreign investment. But I think what a lot of startups and companies in Canada trying to make the move to the U.S. Uh, have a problem with is actually getting that traction. Just because you can do it in Canada doesn't mean you can scale and do it in the U.S. And we, we had that at the start where that was a, a lot of the argument from uh, U.S. investment. They would say, well, you're all Canadian clients. Can you do it in the U.S.? Um, well, over 80% of our clients are U.S.-based. So we are a U.S. company. We are a Canadian company. We're, we're North American. And uh, I think that that one thing is always understand that that break-in into the U.S. market it is a, it is a different beast. It's a different, it's a different angle. Um, but you have to build your teams around that business unit. Uh, if you stay solely Canadian and thinking, it's going to be a lot harder to really understand the regions, the geographies, the legislation within the U.S. But when you can build that out from a more of a, an, an international perspective, getting that proper, you know, client profile, understanding what the market needs, building the right product, modifying the right things, to make sure you can service that and build great relationships. That's critical. I'm glad you said that. So how important, I think I know what you're going to say, but how important is it then? If you're a Canadian company expanding into the U.S., because you and I both know, everyone wants to do it. We're we're neighbors to the largest economy in the world. Everyone has this 10x rule or 10x thought, uh, whether yeah. that's correct or not. What's going to happen to their company if they're successful in the U.S.? How important is it to have a team member, a, a, an American team member, on your team and someone that's domiciled in the U.S. If you're looking at U.S. expansion, would you say that's an important factor? I think it's absolutely critical. And uh, our chief operations officer, Doug Markham, phenomenal guy, uh, years and years and years in the industry. Um, and that's why we set up in Nashville. Uh, and then our team's built around Nashville. And we just love Nashville in general for all kinds of different reasons. But it's yeah. a great hub for us to service our clients in Texas and Florida and uh, all of the southern U.S. You know, it's not a it's not a far far uh, flight up to to New York or across over to uh, San, San Francisco. So, you know, you really have to look at what is your goal. How are you building and scaling teams, and what expertise do you want to pull on, and how do you want to actually create that culture? Um, there, there's a big gap if you don't have and you don't understand the needs of those regions, geographies, and those clients. And uh, I think it's so so important that you invest in that right out of the gate. Um, it's no different if it was reversed. Uh, if, if I was originally from Nashville trying to come up and sell into, I don't know, Toronto, I, how would I know what the legislation is and the appetite or, you know, the political system or the major carriers that are interested in, in the services we offer? So uh, yeah. I would highly, highly advise build, um, build an international team if you're going to go for international growth. 
Uh, I wouldn't be short-sighted just to just anchor everything in one bucket. Um, I think it just limits your ability to learn, get the feedback and develop more product and be competitive. And tar- Target made, Target's a giant. They made that mistake ex- when they expanded into Canada. Uh, they, they didn't understand the dynamics of the Canadian marketplace. And, you know, the reverse happens quite a bit because they look at Canada and they go, oh, I can't be that hard, right? Uh, exactly. Massive geography, right? Uh, distribution is a totally different game in Canada. But you know, I, I, we're not going to talk about the Target story here. We're going to stay on the WiseDoc story. Um, so did you feel like, because I, I think this part of the conversation is super interesting, especially for our audience. Did, did you ever feel like you were at a disadvantage when you were trying to um, synthesize the value prop of WiseDocs when you were going into the U.S. and trying to attract that U.S. talent that you need to be successful as an international company. Did you feel like you were at a disadvantage as a Canadian trying to pitch that to... Honestly, I'd say the opposite. Uh, The the cool and the most amazing thing about operating and and building an amazing team in the U.S. and, and expanding the company into the U.S., is the the appetite and and i think when you're in healthcare when you're in various aspects of insurance specifically in canada it's one of the hardest markets to break into let's be honest if you're if you're a health tech startup or an insure tech with any kind of health related basis to it mm-hmm. it is so hard because again our, our system is designed where it, it's a public system. Uh, resources are, are not, you know, easily disposed of. Provincial legislation and federal legislation. There's a lot of things to to cross a chasm to get any kind of traction. And then when you're dealing from enterprise levels, there's a lot of layers for those RFPs, RFIs. You know, your CSAs, MSAs. The list goes on. When you go down to the U.S. and if you can validate and prove your stance and the value you bring into a Canadian market. And you can show a U.S. market, not only can we modify that, meet that need, but grow even faster, there's so much opportunity for disruption because everyone in a privatized market is looking to cut the cost, increase that margin, run a tighter business, and go faster. Well said. Well said. Kudos to you. So you make it sound so easy. I like <laughs> so, 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 so what, what has been, what would you say if you had to? If you had to pick one has been your biggest challenge uh, in your your journey so far. I think um, that's a a really good question. Like, I think every day you're you're always fighting some type of challenge. That's just the the way it works. But um, I think it's just really keeping that culture and and keeping that team as you grow. uh, And I found it, you know, you go five people, 13 people, 30, 40, 50 people, you know, you keep going. And, and, and you expand by region, by geography, by country, you know, it, it's really, and now more so in this remote world in which we work and live, um, it's, it's hard uh, to make sure that, you know, those values and that culture is so, you know, ingrained. Um, yeah. Because when I started the company, I really took a lot of that, that military ethos, that camaraderie. And I wanted to have a place that gave me purpose to work. And every day I worked, I got up, I maybe didn't put on a uniform, but I put on that suit or the the wise docs tee. And it was, you know, this is what I believe in. These are the people that I believe in. I believe in the mission. And, um, you know, that's that's easy to pull together and be strong when you work in the office together, you're 10, 20 people. 
it's a hard thing to scale that. And I think it's, it's yeah. every founder's duty if you really want to run a great place to work, get the best talent, have some great diversity, great opinion, and, and really bring an A game of a, a very robust organization that can take it to the next level. That's your goal. It's your people. And um, I think that's the hardest thing. It's the, the, the landscape shifted. I, I was talking to a colleague today, actually, and uh, he was reading an article that under 30 mm-hmm. uh, somethings uh, will actually look at having eight careers over their life. Wow. It, it's wow. a different environment. Eight careers, not jobs, careers. Yeah, not, empl- eight. not eight employers, eight distinct careers. Careers. Isn't that something? It is and and, I, and I, I don't know the paraphrase to, and the reference, but I just found that in a passing conversation phenomenal. And I think that's what organizations now are, are going to start finding is that leakage right. and that talent where it's always moving. And yeah. our way of thinking about keeping culture, growing culture and growing a business, that'll be a big challenge. Yeah, it's exciting and challenging at the same time because the, the, the exciting part is that means you're going to have fresh thinking ideas coming into the company all the time and people with different perspectives. Like that's the cool part. But from a, from a stability standpoint and sustainability and not the buzz sustainability that everybody talks about, I'm talking about like real sustainability, like sustaining company culture. It, it, you're absolutely right. That, that, that's going to be challenging and giving people challenging, thoughtful, meaningful work uh, that, um, maybe outweighs the temptation to go chase another career. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's maybe there's a, another place for you in the organization where we can help kind of uh, help you fulfill that need. And you know, that's that's another thing to think about as you as you grow and scale, right? Um, so really, really, really cool uh, conversation around some unexpected turns and twists that we took. And I, I <laughs> thank you for going down that road with me. I wrote down something else that you said just on the uh, around investors. You yeah. said a lot of your investors are operators first, um, and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I talk to um, a lot of you know our community members and and my clients in the startup space about securing that first you know uh, outside money to come in and help grow and scale your company. You know you can just get money from anyone. Uh, and there are angels out there that will, you know, take a big, nice chunk of your company and um, and be very impatient if they don't understand the problem you're solving and they don't have the background and experience. Yeah. But it sounds to me like you've attracted a certain type of investor who who really understands the problem you're solving and understands maybe from experience uh, what it's like to to operate in in the industry. Has that been uh, a, like a, a playbook for you guys to try to attract that type of investor? Yeah, you know, and I, and I think it works in, in, in a mutual uh, setting, right? You got to look for those investors that are operators first in those early stages and, and to get you through to the next turtle. And yeah. every way you go from each stage, if you're growing a, an asset, you know, you're doubling or tripling that asset value year over year or every two years, you need to make sure that you're not just taking a check, but you're actually looking at how can that strategic individual help propel my business and how can I help mm-hmm. them? And I really think that's where it comes down to. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't also fall into the, the shortfall of when you're a first time founder in the early days, Hey, I'm going to grow this company. I'm going to exit it for, you know, like, like it's something on a movie, right? 
Um, no, when, when you take that check, you, you, you buy in to a long-term relationship and that relationship, seven, 10, 12 years, whatever that cycle is. So you really have to not only invest in that person, but invest in, in that relationship. And uh, I've been very thankful that I've had that through, through the, the duration of, of, of my institutional funding. And, you know, you can look it up, uh, Ripple Ventures, Green Sky Ventures, uh, Matt Cohen, um, amazing guy, amazing operator. They've built companies, they've sold companies. Same with the Green Sky team. They've built companies, sold companies. So, you know, you got to really look at, uh, you got to look at where and, and how you want to take that check, but also uh, what kind of relationship do you want to build with people? I don't think, I think the average founder misses that. I'm so glad you said that because I think people, when they're hiring and recruiting and building a team, like yeah. an operations or management team, think, think that way. When they're sitting in the room, I call it the Florida test. Could I sit in a car and drive to Florida with you without wanting <laughs> to push you out of the car over the first hour in? Um, but I don't think people think that way. Uh, and maybe it's a Canadian thing. You know, when I need money, I go to the bank and I don't even need to have a relationship with that person. Uh, I just need to secure the capital. But you are buying into it. That person's going to be on your cap table for a long, long time until you have that exit. And, right. and it's not going to be an overnight success. Uh, that's a book I'm going to write someday, by the way. So I might call <laughs> on you again. I want to interview founders. I'm going to call it three to five years. There's no such thing as an overnight success. And, um, you know, because like even when you think you read about an overnight success, uh, I always use the music analogy. That artist has released three albums no one knows about that never got downloaded and they've been playing in bars and hotels and, and, and dives uh, for 10 years before their first hit song, you know, makes the radio or, or, or now, you know, the, uh, the podcast streams. So uh, it's spot on. It's spot yeah, on. Yeah. So it, it just, that long-term relationship and being having to invest in it and finding and attracting people who are, who want to grow the company and bring their network to the table. Um, th there's probably a profile and you know, that might even be a tool. You've just given me an idea to define what a strategic investor looks like. So thanks for sharing your experience on that. That's the meaty stuff. That's the meaty stuff. Forget about the Peter Drucker textbook, Procter and Gamble crap. We can read about case studies and go to business school. This is the real deal. This is what you come to the podcast to get is the real stuff here. You guys <laughs> like Connor who have, who've lived it and breathed it and get up at what, what did you call it? Zero. Oh, oh, oh dark, stupid. Yeah. Oh, dark, stupid. I'm, I'm going to use that. I love that. Oh, dark, stupid. What am I doing here? I'm supposed yeah. to be running. Right. That's such a beautiful metaphor for, for, you know, like, why am I here? Why did I, why did I, why am I doing money this? Borrow money on my house and take out a second mortgage to start to leave a 40 hour job and go to a 80 hour a week, you know, startup. Okay. You know, I, I, I think I sold all every, all my personal belongings and I've leveraged everything to try to bring something to me. You better be passionate about it. You yes. better be passionate about it. So I, and I can feel that passion from you. So closing thoughts. Yeah. What do you want to be known for um, when people think of wise docs? Mm -hmm. What do you want them to walk away with and, and know you for as a brand? Yeah, you know, the, the real vision, it comes right back to, to how we opened up the, the conversation. It's like, you know, it, it's, it's not flashy. We're not putting a, a rocket on the moon or doing a self-driving car. Um, we're really just trying to help that individual. If, if we can literally improve the claims process, 
and help everyone within that ecosystem and say, wow, this is, this is just better. My life is better. The quality of my life's better. My care is better. Like I'm a person. And if we can give that back and I said incrementally, even if it's a day, a week, a year, um, that that's a great thing to be remembered by and, and known for. Um, you know, it, it's nothing grandiose, but it's it's amazing on the impacts that you can have on people's lives and how that can impact the next person and so on. So I, I really think it's uh, just like I said on, on our conversation, it's people first. It's yeah. it's your team. It's your investors and it's the your clients. And it's also the people that you're trying to help through this whole process. And then the culture that our clients and, and everyone else is trying to do the same thing for. So if we can keep people first, make it patient centric and really try to help the system, then uh, we're all doing something really amazing. And to use a, a technology that we have to help do that, win-win. Awesome. So if people want to learn more about WiseDocs, where, where will they find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Yeah, so you can reach out directly to our, uh, through our website. So www.wisedocs.ai. Uh, you can reach me on my LinkedIn, uh, search me Connor Atchison. Uh, you'll see my uh, probably the almost the same picture pop up. So that's me. You can always reach out there. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those two mediums and, and we're always around. Happy to take any kind of inquiries or calls or just uh, any interest in what we're doing. Awesome. Connor, thanks for setting aside the time to sit down with me today and, and just kind of unpack this crazy startup journey that that we're all on together and just for being part of the community for you know, uh, supporting the cause here at InsureTech Canada. And uh, I look forward to many more follow-up conversations, but really just appreciate you sharing your, your advice, your experience and in, in, in your journey here today. Thank, thanks, John. I really appreciate it as well. And always around and uh, look forward to our next call. I imagine we're going to have another one. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, I, got a, I wrote down a bunch of follow-up questions that we just don't have time for, but that's going to be our follow-up podcast that we'll do that in. So fantastic. Awesome. Thanks again. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Sean. Much appreciated. All right.